Hello, you're listening to a new episode of Czech German Perspectives, a podcast brought to you by the Czech German Young Professionals Program. To find out more and listen to more podcast episodes, go to our website cgypp.eu. My name is Andreas, and in this podcast we are going to find out more about frames and narratives, why they are important, and how they are used in political debates. My guests are two real experts, Sarah Lyle and Owen Young. They both work for the International Center for Policy Advocacy in Berlin. It's an NGO that helps other organizations with advocacy strategies. Over the past couple of years, they also ran a very interesting narrative change project on migration and the migration debate in Germany. More about this in the second part of the podcast, so make sure you listen until the end. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, Andreas. So you recently looked into narratives as part of a project. Um, Owen, could you tell me a little bit more about this? It was called Reframe the Debate, and it was supported by the Democratic Labour Program. It basically, to give you the short overview, for the last three years, we started by looking at international campaigning practice and also the theories around frames and narratives. And on that basis, we supported the development of Uh, of narrative change campaigns around the issue of migration with uh, with German NGOs. So maybe let's start with the basics. What what is a frame? What is a narrative? And why do we need to talk about it? What's a frame? Frames are basically the stories we tell ourselves mm. around, normally around, say, uh, new issues. So if a new issue comes up, normally how do we how do we take a position on it? So in the example of migration, how would that work? Yeah, for example, in migration, yeah, for example, in the last while, a lot of people, what they've done is, they, you know, any person, when a new issue comes up, you see it in the news, you begin to talk about, your, you, you talk to your friends, you also generally, around these issues, you talk to your sort of, I suppose, political brothers, if you will, the ones that you agree with, and slowly but surely, you begin to understand what the problem is, possibly what the solutions are. Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Actually, um, and that begins to form a, a full story around the issue. Mm -hmm. um, and slowly but surely, these stories they not only become you know they're not only my position; they're actually the the position of my sort of political brothers. They're ultimately what they are is sort of nearly um, once we begin to own them a lot more, they're kind of identity stories. And then. Basically, the problem is that you have other people with other frames. Yeah, so and especially um, what's very important to realize a little bit is once these stories become socialized, then it's not just a rational debate. We have begun to own them. What, what, you think, what you're thinking about there is, is I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to show them they're wrong. They're going to tell me I'm right. And they're going to be convinced of that. What frames and the ownership and socialization of the stories creates is is a much more emotional attachment mm. to those stories because they're not just identity stories, they're community stories. And by the time a frame has become established, it's actually become part of our common sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we just think it's, it's just obvious. It's, it's how the world is. So to come in with, to say, no, let me tell you that that's not true, that's not correct, it can feel patronising. It can feel like a lecture rather than a conversation. It can feel like you're implying that the person's a bit stupid. 
or maybe in the context of migration that they're a bit racist um, and so you're not kind of opening up the conversation often when you're if you're just trying to sort of attack those things that you maybe don't realize are actually deeply held frames the other thing with frames is that they're very easily triggered so um, we often have like the image of dominoes being set off so um, one word can kind of trigger a whole range of associations that tell you this whole complete story like Owen was saying about who the, the goodies are who the baddies are in the story what the, what the problem is what the solutions are those stories, once they become our common sense, are way more powerful than I think we, we really think, actually. You know? So a single picture, a phrase, a metaphor um, is, is so important in terms of that triggering. And with, that's what we often say when we're asking uh, NGOs to, you know, to test their messaging, to think what they're going to say to people. Uh, it's, it's, it's not necessarily what you're saying, it's what you're triggering. Actually, that's really important to understand. Once those, yeah, once those elements of the stories are, are triggered, then it's really difficult to pull, pull back and to, to actually, you know, to, yeah, to try to change people's minds and engage them. So if you want to engage someone that has a completely different frame, how, how would you kind of go about it? Frames and frame theory, I suppose what's important a little bit is a number of very, of, I suppose, particular viewpoints have become well known and that book Don't Think of an Elephant by George Lakoff is a good example but, but Lakoff himself is a he's a, a cognitive linguist so literally at that point he he's really looking at you know how the brain reacts right uh, one of the things that we've tried to do a little bit is um, is actually try, try to take a more multidisciplinary view like our the answer when we were talking about frames we also see that actually there the socialization of frames rather than just the initial brain reaction is really important actually when it comes to campaigning because obviously you know convincing anyone is a bit of a process you know uh, it goes step by step and um, i think what lakov is trying to and the thing that people know around frames or or has been pointed out by yeah by, by many different campaigners and authors is actually this idea of, yeah, if you negate a frame, you evoke a frame. What that means is by, you know, saying that many campaigns, for example, in migration have, have said that migrants are not illegal, not criminal, not alien, but actually what Lakoff basically tries to explain is the associations we trigger with words like illegal and criminal are very strong and actually... Basically, what we're doing all the time there is we're, um, we're playing on the opposition's field there. And the way I often explain it as well is if we're just negating an existing story, who's actually setting the agenda there? And it's, and it's really not us. His, his suggestion basically is to try, yeah, respectfully engage people and change the story and try to tell the story in a way that you want to tell the story. But if we're, if we're constantly re, retweeting positions of our opponents then actually we're we're kind of giving them free airtime actually even if we're negating it so we're actually reinforcing and repeating we're often reinforcing and repeating i mean it, it is motivating for supporters right so negating those frames will keep supporters on board but doubters not really no. so maybe let's move on to sort of political debates i mean maybe we can talk a little bit about how frames sort of inform political debates 
Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I'd say on that is that what the, the evidence shows on this in terms of how people react in political debates and actually in kind of heated debates in general is that people are more frame-driven and emotion-driven than fact-driven. And this is what people sometimes have called the evidence paradox, that the evidence is that evidence doesn't work. Um, so, and, and, and that's, we, again, we don't want to go too far with that to say that evidence never works and that we should never use facts when we're debating important topics like migration or climate change. What we've been trying to do is to say, how can you start a conversation? And how can you open up a conversation with something warm and engaging that taps into people's values? That's another really important concept in this. And then how you can start to use that to introduce new frames, new ways of seeing the issue. Um, an example that, you know, going back to George Lakoff that he often uses, which I find quite helpful, is talking about regulation or talking about protection. So in the United States, the Republicans, um, the Conservatives would talk about regulation. And they might even talk about red tape and bureaucracy. Um, it's and the quite, same in Europe. And it's the same in Europe, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's quite easy for progressives, Democrats to start to use that language as well. But if they start to use that language, then the policy outcomes that's going to lead to is all about getting rid of the red tape. Whereas if they have, and, and, and actually um, definitely progressives have started to do this quite successfully, they've shifted the frame and they've started to talk about protections, uh, social protections. And then you actually want more of those protections, right, for your, for your citizens. So that's just an example of we, we, we kind of the phrase we have for, for why this becomes so important, not only in how you have political conversations, but in policy, is that the, the political debate sets the boundaries for acceptable policy choices. The frames that are being used and the frames that are dominant within the debate actually restrict or open up space for policies in that, in that area. The emotionally smart thing is very important here. So sometimes this debate gets reduced to these ideas of that facts don't work. And, and I don't think that that's helpful, actually. You know, what's helpful to you, what's helpful for campaigners and for people to understand is uh, under particular circumstances for particular audiences, obviously the facts are very, very, very important, right? So facts work for, in the policy world, facts work in, 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 in producing the evidence basis that we need to get there. Facts work in, in, in getting support and keeping supporters on board. Mm-hmm. The important part is how to start, how to bring people to the table. And what's been happening, especially in these really polarised debates, is you can see it. You can see it online. You can see it in, in debating with your relatives. You, the, the communication breaks down, and that's where this, this idea of understanding how these stories are so powerful on the one hand and, and so socialised on the other hand understanding that would, would make you approach those debates in a different way. An example I think might be useful here. You've got a swarm of people coming across the Mediterranean, seeking a better life, wanting to come to Britain because Britain has got jobs, it's got a growing economy, it's an incredible place to live, but we need to protect our borders by working hand in glove with our neighbours. So in 2015, David Cameron was talking about the, the sort of Calais refugee camp. He was talking about uh, why people are there and ultimately that, that there is a, and this was a very key word here, a swarm of people looking to come to the UK. Now, if we think about the implications of that, swarm is, is a word that really is very triggering in these kinds of cases. So one of the very common stories that's often told uh, in the migration debate is one of 
uh, invasion and insecurity and losing control. Uh, and by picking that single word, swarm also has it goes back to these very old stories, the nearly biblical stories of plagues and being overrun. So by using this word, he sets off. He goes back to this very old story, um, and uh, and he was highly criticised for this, by the way, in the British in the British press as well. But I think he's pretty. He knows what he's doing here by choosing this word. And immediately, just to go back to the definition that we talked about. So, if you think of the word swarm, then you know it immediately implies what the problem is and what the solutions are. And the solutions are security and walls and uh, and stopping the whole thing and you know preventing all of this kind of thing right so yeah you set a a, a very strong reaction mm. by using this single word actually. and if you want a german example of that kind of mainstreaming effect then discussions i've heard in the ngo with among german ngos that we work with is they face the challenges of these terms um azul industry and mm. azul tourismus yeah asylum tourism and an asylum industry those were terms that were used by the IFD, but they've been mainstreamed through mm-hmm. CSU, and they basically imply it belittles the idea of mm-hmm. asylum. So asylum becomes something that's like a, a sort of black market business rather than being about sanctuary from harm. Mm-hmm. And these frames become, you know, you are no longer talking about people who need help and need protection mm-hmm. and have the potential to integrate into German society. You're talking about people who are coming here to take what we have and. Um, it ta- that taps into a frame that we found when we did mapping of the German um, media context. There's a frame that's called the deprivation frame, which is basically we don't have enough uh, just for ourselves, so we can't have more people coming here. And that that um, Azul industry definitely um, triggers that that frame for people and makes them feel fearful um, of refugees coming to Germany. And in all of my years of public life. I have never obstructed justice, and I think, too, that I can say that in my years of public life that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. The classic example, if you want to, Andreas, for the if you negate a frame, you evoke it, is Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal saying publicly to the American people, I am not a crook. What did everyone think? They thought, he's a crook. So now after talking about sort of frames and narratives and why, why those are important in political debates, uh, we move on to the second part of the podcast, look at how to actually change debates. And you've done a sort of three-year project on uh, a narrative change campaign. I mean, what exactly is a narrative change campaign? As we mentioned, the, the debates in, in these polarized debates, especially around, around migration, the, the challenge that we see is to, is to change the debate, to put new positive narratives out there. So what we're trying to do in these debates ultimately is not get stuck in the existing polarized frames and to begin to talk differently about these issues. The, ca- the, the campaigners that we meet, we've met in Germany um, and actually increasingly across Europe um, as we've been working on the Narrative Change Lab. They tell us that the current approaches they're using within the migration debate aren't working, that they are getting kind of angry responses back when they try and, when they try and put, put across a pro-migration stance. 
Um, and especially when they sort of try and argue it rationally and they try and do facts and myth-busting and rights, um, that they, they find that these are not resonating with the broader public and they don't know why. And I think often people end up feeling like they think that there's either the people who are for us and there's the people who's against, who are against us. So there are the pro-migration people and there are the anti-migration people. And actually, um, there's a much more, it's a much more complicated picture in that there's the studies across Europe show that there's sort of 15 to 20 percent of people are pro and 15 to 20 percent of people are anti and then in the middle you've got 60 70 percent of people who are neither pro nor anti have a conversation with if you can find an opening and those um, narrative change campaign they would target those people in the middle that are undecided somehow or have have opinions on both sides so we take a sort of both and not either or approach to this so um, there are three different strategies that we think are needed within the migration debate um, in, in Europe, probably also in the US and various other places too. There's the bringing your base along, mobilising them, so mobilising the people who are already pro. Then there's the strategy of um, defining and marginalising the extremes, so saying this is the far right and defining that territory and showing that it shouldn't be mainstream, that it is actually uh, an extreme right-wing opinion, extreme negative opinion. And then there's, and that's an important strategy. And then there is this third strategy uh, of reaching the, mo the movable middle, we call them. And we would say that we need all three of those strategies. So it's not like every organization should be trying to reach the middle. But in our project, we have focused on that because we found that that was where NGOs were struggling the most. And that was where there wasn't very much practice, not many people turning this kind of theory around framing into practice to then reach the movable middle and start to introduce more positive frames around migration. Let's take some practical examples here. If, if I were an NGO that works on migration issues, um, what would you recommend me doing? Yeah, so for me, these narrative change campaigns, just put simply, are an attempt to put new story around a particular issue into the public and for it to have traction, you know, so it's, it's public campaigning. So for an NGO, so first of all, one, the NGO has to decide which target audiences it wants to engage, right? So that's, that's a key thing. So our, our, our thing here is not to push people to go into areas where they, they're not interested. You know, some NGOs are much more comfortable engaging supporter groups and, and others not. But then there are lots of NGOs who, who work on these issues on a day-to-day -day basis that not just not, you know not just choosing to engage them, they, they literally work with the public on a day-to-day -day basis and are struggling um, uh, to have these conversations. You know? So what should they do? Um, on a practical level, uh, the thing that we do is ask them to understand a bit better, have a much more complicated view of these middle groups. Um, that can come from, uh, there's a lot of research in this area, um, for example, our organization called More in Common has done a lot of what's called polling and segmentation research, and what, they gives us, they, what it gives us is profiles of, uh, of middle audiences. Um, if you're working directly with, um, if you're working directly with, with the public on a day-to-day -day basis, I think maybe you don't need the research, maybe you understand already, you know, what the challenges are in this debate. So take a step back. So the, the, the big thing is to try and find a, a strategy and a message that maybe does work and does engage. And what it's, tended to, what it's tended to be 
and these are the hard choices here. It's tended to be a more conservative messaging space, um, but there's lots of room there, you know. So, so some people are, would be very uncomfortable messaging on a sort of patriotism sort of line, but actually, a mess- you can message on on uh, on ideas of family and community uh, uh, and and uh, and independent community action. All of these things are is a step in the direction to try and bring people together around these issues. And this this is yeah. this is based on this idea of um, people also being value driven, so that people have values that you can tap into and values that actually that create emotion emotion in us when we when those values are um, are being triggered or or touched on. There's some there's some great. Uh, readings on this. There's Jonathan Haidt, the Moral Values Framework. There's George Lakoff stuff as well, where he he shows the different values of Republicans and Democrats. Um, and typically, this middle group will have a mix of the values. So, um, values like care and fairness are typically associated with the more um, progressive side. Um, values like loyalty and purity. And what are some of the other ones? Um, uh, community sanctity, sanctity, yeah, yeah. sanctity are associated with with more um, right wing or um, conservative value frameworks. Um, but people who are in the middle, I think Lakoff calls them biconceptuals. So, but we would talk more about the kind of movable middle or the anxious yeah. middle or the, the mushy middle. Lots of different terms for this. Um, they would tend to have a mix of those values, and so you could be tapping into. Yeah, you could be tapping into their care and fairness you could be and but you might also want to tap into a bit of loyalty like loyalty to community or family or tradition Mm. Um, and sometimes that's a way for us that's been a very practical way we've been able to work with NGOs to think about these middle groups map what values they have and then use those values as an opener for a narrative change campaign and one of the really important things there is that NGOs message on values that they are also comfortable with that they also believe in so we wouldn't get them to go too far outside of what they feel is actually something they consider to be their values yeah and I think um, the thing that Sarah mentioned before the, you know, we really feel that if, if, if this debate can be sort of won back in some way it will require people to sort of engage these middle groups in a much more intensive way uh, and to try and find messages that are a key word for us as well is that resonate you know so this kind of bringing people to the table means that when they hear the message their response is well that sounds sensible I'd like to talk to these people not I don't understand what they're saying I don't believe any of that so it's the it's the kind of response that you're looking for thanks a lot This is unfortunately all we have time for today. Thanks again to Sarah and Owen for joining the podcast. If you want to know more about framing a narrative, just drop me an email or check out narrativechange.org. That's actually the website Sarah and Owen developed to help NGOs with their narrative change campaigns. Thanks for listening and goodbye.